It is one week until Star Wars, and this is Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there are five cool things going on that aren't Star Wars at the moment, but that you should still be in the know about. Number five this week, not exactly coming from the Valve Corporation, but a little bit of news coming from Valve. Uh, the development team behind Half-Life and uh, Team Fortress, Left 4 Dead, and Portal. We are sort of seeing a new Portal game coming up soon. Okay, so let's let's get into this a little bit. Tell me more about Valve. Like, what are they... They, they don't seem to put out a ton of product, but when they do, it's usually yeah, they've phenomenal. Yeah, they've got a history for making really intriguing games. Things with new ideas, things people haven't done before. But they've only done it a few times, uh, because Valve are also the people behind Steam, the PC gaming distribution service. Which is like the only... Well, it, it's it, the it, main way to buy games these yeah, days. Yeah, it dominates. It's the PC game industry. If right. you release a game for uh, for a computer, chances are you're buying it on Steam. So they've been throwing pretty much everything they've got behind doing that and nothing behind their gaming library, uh, which is a shame because their gaming library is pretty cool. As previously discussed, lots of cool ideas, lots of new stuff. Uh, for instance, Portal, uh, which came out, the original Portal was 2009. Uh, first-person game, but not a first-person shooter. It's a puzzle game where... well. You are shooting in it, just not... Well, okay, but you're not... <laughs> you're shooting portals, that's the really You're cool shooting thing portals, it. and you're not killing enemies. No. You're I... solving these puzzle rooms. You, yeah, you fire a thing that makes a hole, and fire another thing that makes another hole, and then when you walk in one hole, you come out the other. So the simplest puzzle in the game is to get across a gap, right? You shoot a portal in the wall next to you, and you shoot one across the gap, walk into the portal and out the other side. But they end up doing all this cool stuff with, like, the portals preserve your momentum. So you build up speed and go through the portal and come out really fast and go flying. And then the second one expanded on that. And and as much as it's, as it's seemingly a pretty simple game of puzzles, there's this deeper plot in it. And in the first one... You don't really notice it at first, and then by the end... It sneaks up on you. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this comes from Ellen McLean, who's the voice actor for GLaDOS, Mm -hmm. which is the game's signature, hilariously passive-aggressive AI, who is sort of walking you through these test chambers as you solve these puzzles, but turns out there's this whole other thing going on, and it ties into their Half-Life universe of games. Right. Very cool. We haven't really seen anything from this franchise since 2011, um, there's been some extra bits here and there. There's sort of a VR experience. But they just announced that they've licensed out the, the Portal license to make Portal Bridge Constructor. So what's Bridge Constructor? Bridge Constructor is one of these games it, that it represents... like some. I think Polybridge is either the first one or the most famous one you might have seen. I know that's the one that's always on Reddit all the time. Okay. Um, it's, it's an IO, it's a, Well, not just iOS. It's a mobile app where you know, you, it's a physics simulator where you have to build a bridge. And then you have to build bridges of increasing length with limited resources and try to make the best bridge. And there's a hundred of these because one came out and it was successful. And then everybody made copies of them. Right, because it's relatively simple. It's fairly easy to do. And Bridge Constructor just seems to be like maybe the the highest budget one. It it certainly looks the fanciest, where the other ones tend to be pretty mobile-centric. This one's out on PC and distributed by Steam. And now they're making a portal version. Um, important note that like they, it's the people who made Bridge Constructor are making the Portal one. They just made a deal with Valve. Valve isn't actually developing, but the trailer it you know it shows like the, the typical thing you see from these games where the vehicle tries to cross the bridge and fails. 
but there's portals involved and GLaDOS is there and she's being snarky and it's real like it's it's a, not what everyone was looking for. I think most people really wanted to see Portal 3. Yeah. Not that Valve has ever successfully made a number 3, but that's a whole other story. Um but it's cool to see that we're going to be back into that world and we have to do it in a fun iOS game or Android game. Sorry, I'm obviously a little biased. <laughs> I'm up for that. Like I'm I'll you know I'll, I'll sit on the bus and play a cool little portal puzzle. That seems great to me. I hope that the writing is as sharp though, because that is is something that is a key component to the portal games. You know, between the voice of Glados, the voice of uh, the other the Stephen Merchant did the voice of your helper character yeah, and in it, the second it, one. He's hilarious. It's it, J.K. So Simmons is in J. the second Simmons. one, and he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's just so fantastically well done, and it's it, you're solving puzzles, but you're also in this deeper story, and uh, I worry that maybe that element of it will get lost in a, a mobile setting. Yeah, I can't imagine. And to be fair, this is coming out. Like, I'll put it. Like, just get, let's get the dates out there now. It's coming to mobile titles and PC December twenty, and then early next year, it's coming to PS4, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch. So they're doing a full console release as well, but it does seem like it's more of an app than a game, which maybe is a little pejorative. But yeah, I I think it's going to be, I think we're going to lose some story. Uh, But then Portal itself was pretty compact. There wasn't a lot happening in it. You know, like once, if you know the solutions to all the puzzles, you can beat it in an afternoon. I can't tell you, though, the first time I solved some of those puzzles, I felt like the smartest man alive. Oh, yeah. It does a great... It, like, it really holds your hand and shows you how they work, but because they do incredible things and they show you how to do that, yeah, you feel great. And then, because there are there were definitely points where I was like, well, I'm stuck. I can't figure this one out. I just kept playing and toying, and it would... This, it would lock into place, and my brain would feel like it just opened up to a new level. I felt I would feel like I leveled up as a person, and I was you know allocating yeah. resources. It was the best experience. They do a really good job of just very slowly introducing new concepts, and before long, you're like you're making a portal on the floor, a portal on the ceiling, fall through infinite times to build up momentum, shoot the portal gun somewhere else. So now you go flying out the portal at high speed, grab a box while you're on your way through, <laughs> land, drop a box on the switch, which opens a door. Which wheels something out that you need that bounces you. Like, it just keeps going. Yeah. I can't imagine that's going to survive terribly well in such a small environment. True. But from the setup, the idea like a car is coming, there is a hole, get and maybe other complications, get it over using resources and also portals. Seems like there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, so yes, the big part of this story is that you know, the Portal franchise is back and we all love it, but it, it could be a cool game. Uh, probably not as AAA as the, right. the J.K. Simmons, Stephen Merchant, Ellen McLean thing, though. Moving on to number four, uh, we saw about ten minutes of gameplay footage for MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries. There is not a lot more we can say. I, if you've been listening to this podcast and you haven't gotten into MechWarrior or Battletech <laughs> by now, I can't help you. Um, it just, it, it's, it's just it's such a great frame. I keep, I'll, I'll just give you this. I know I keep repeating it. It's Star Wars mixed with Game of Thrones, but instead of X-Wings, you have giant robots. So How can you turn that down? You're crazy. So what have we learned in this latest batch of footage? Yeah, what we see in the footage is a very early build. It's just of 10 minutes of somebody playing the game. And so far, it, it, it seems very close to home for starters. You've got the first-person pers- perspective from the robot. 
And you, you go out there and you see he calls up the objective list, go to this nav point and blow up this, go to this nav point and blow up that. And the, you know, they're shooting at you with turrets and helicopters take off and attack, but you're in a giant robot, so you just shoot them down. But then the other giant robots come and it turns into a whole thing. The gameplay that we've seen so far does seem very basic. It seems relatively unchanged from the MechWarrior series. Which is know. fine with me. I'm, yeah, which that's is... That's all I'm looking for. That's all a lot of people are looking for. It does raise a few interesting questions, though, which may be intentional. Um, but, for instance, the way to play the MechWarrior games back in the day was with a joystick and a keyboard. If you were super lucky with a joystick and a throttle and a keyboard. Yeah. Because these aren't really action-y arcade games. These are simulation games. The idea being that there's tons of things to do and a lot of buttons. And somehow playing it with a mouse and keyboard never seemed quite right. No, it didn't. Uh, it didn't wasn't as immersive. Yeah, you didn't feel like you had that same control. Like when you got hit in this game, and your mech would lean over to the left, like you would throw the joystick to the right and sort of like try to struggle to keep it on its feet. You don't get that with the mouse, but or the trackpad. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. But you know, nowadays nobody has joysticks anymore. That's why is that though? Well, I mean, big sim games like that tended they fell a little bit out of favor. I mean, for one thing, a joystick, when you think about it, is an expensive peripheral. It can only be used for a few applications. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I guess so. I mean, I remember having joysticks, but I guess it was mainly for playing MechWarrior. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Those complicated games sort of faded away and became more arcade-y, so you need less buttons. And, you know, it's more high speed, it's more fun, and you don't need the whole thing. So really, the two ways to play games nowadays are mouse and keyboard or a gamepad, like on a console. I feel like gamepad might be the way I would choose to do this. It still doesn't seem quite right, but the guy playing this demo, definitely playing with a mouse. Hmm. You can see in the way that like it, it makes very sudden turns. I remember I remember with the joystick, the controls were so precise that there you could turn one part of the joystick and you would look that way but you, your mech would keep walking in the other way like the guns wouldn't necessarily move ah it just again yeah. it's so immersive it, yeah you lose something for that yeah some friends got me a full like joystick and throttle back in the day and you know between the joystick and the throttle like there were two buttons for every finger <laughs> so I never even had to use the keyboard I had everything on there and just the amount of fun that you had tying into that but that yeah you were it wasn't a game anymore you were <laughs> in this robot you know I'd have to kick up the speed and I would shove the throttle forward like it just that's missing in the interface so that kind of weirds me out also some interesting things that we've seen obviously very deliberately done is we've seen some of the re-seen mech designs um, and okay. admittedly so after so explain that to me after uh, mech warrior 2 Right? They yeah. lost the license to some of the mechs? Well, they never really quite had them. This ah. is this is pretty inside baseball for Battletech, but Battletech started as a tabletop game. And it started essentially when two guys like at a convention saw a bunch of Macross figures, like Robotech figures, for sale. Hmm. And just bought a bunch of these figures and made a cool board game around it. Hmm. Back then, you know, I mean, these, these were just these weird plastic toys that got imported from Japan. But they do belong to somebody in Japan. So a lot of these really classic, famous mech designs in this universe, the Marauder, the Battlemaster, the Griffin, the Spider, the Shadowhawk, which is the mech that we see piloted in this, they look a little different from all the other mechs in this universe because they're not from this universe. <laughs> like, I don't know my Robotech Macross that well, but the Marauder is a bad guy, and I think it's sentient. Like, I think it's a sentient robot or an alien. It starts with a Z. I don't know what it is, but it's clearly the exact same design. 
So yeah, after Mech Warrior Two, like it sort of came up. Like these are both these companies are both becoming big deal now. You can't use those designs, right. so they became the unseen mechs. And you would read about them in the fiction, but you'd never see the image, and they never appeared in the games anymore. Ah. At some point, they essentially redesigned those mechs. And it's, it's actually worked into the canon, where there's like a, a rediscovery of these mechs, and they upgrade them with the most modern technology. And so they look a little different. Wink. <laughs> um, and, but this, both this game, MechWarrior 5, and the Battletech strategy game, has really been leaning heavily into the, look at all your favorite old mechs are back. And they look so. In this demo, we see the player is playing a Shadowhawk, which is one of the the unseen ones. And in the strategy game, we still see. Anyway, we see a lot of these old things back, and it's 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 very inside baseball. It doesn't matter to anybody except longtime fans of the series. But for longtime fans of the series, it would be like if Star Wars hadn't been able to show X wings for twenty years, right? And now they're back. So clearly, the people making this game are directly targeting it to the people who loved this game. Yeah, go back and get the the people who have a ton of nostalgia for it, the people who have been playing the series in one form or another since the 80s or 90s, right? Like, get them back on board, because it's been a bit of a dead franchise for for a few years, right? Oh, easily, yeah. We've talked about that more in detail in previous episodes, but yeah, nothing has happened with this for a while, and now there's a couple of games coming out, and there's another tabletop set coming out. Like, they're definitely making a push for this franchise again. Uh, We have to move on. I also just want to point out, interesting, they had the K variant of the Catapult, the the Draconis Combine variant with the PPCs (laughs) instead of the LRMs. Super obscure, but, like, awesome. ah, I really really liked it. It it, it, I might be the only one in the world who saw it. And, like, yeah, I see what you're doing there. That's cool. (laughs) Moving on. From one science fiction franchise to a slightly more famous science fiction franchise, I'm willing to give that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the, as a, I've been posting on the Geek Top 5 Facebook feed, it is clearly in the zeitgeist right now. Star Trek is everywhere. Everybody loves it, it's which like, is great. The 50th anniversary was last year, uh, and so it, it's, I guess it just got into everyone's bloodstream, and now it's just pouring out over everything right now. We got a Black Mirror episode coming up. There's a Dakota Fanning movie that has a lot of Star Trek stuff in it. The Orville is very Star Trek-centric. And now Discovery. Discovery is back, or, yeah. well, well it, for the first time. It, Star Trek is back Star in Trek Discovery back. form. <laughs> and now... Quentin Tarantino is supposedly, uh, well, I think it's been all but confirmed. It's, it's sources say that Tarantino's come up with an idea for a Star Trek movie. And apparently he talked to J.J. Abrams about it, and J.J. Abrams wants to produce it, and it's being pitched now. Which, what? Quentin Tarantino of Reservoir Dogs, of Pulp Fiction. Kill Bill, Django Unchained. Wants to make a Star Trek movie? What could it possibly I just, what is he going to do? <laughs> so, uh, this is really excited me because one of the things that Tarantino does best is he takes his favorite things from when he was a kid and when he was in his teens and 20s and he modernizes them, puts his own little spin on them, but stays true to them. His kung fu movie, Kill Bill, was very kung fu. Like, it fit a lot of the tropes of a kung fu movie, but it was also very much a Tarantino movie. And Glorious Bastards was... Uh, a World War II movie, but uh, like a B-World War II movie, but with the Tarantino gloss on yeah. it. Yeah, 
But let's be clear, the Tarantino gloss you refer to, that tends to refer to, like, irreverence and violence. Right. Neither of which sort of traditionally fit into the Star Trek archetype. Now, to be fair, the Star Trek archetype is all over the place. Discovery doesn't fit in the Star Trek archetype. Very much so. But the level of, you know, again, irreverence is the only word that I can think for. It seems weird to fit that into that world. Yeah, but I also think he... I think we're not giving him enough credit. He's a creative mind, and he knows what Star Trek is. I don't think he's going to want to revamp the wheel. He's not going to have you know Samuel Jackson reciting Bible passages at Kirk while he's got him at gunpoint. It's it's going to stay true to the the format. And uh, a lot of people rediscovered an interview he did with uh, uh, another podcast that'll remain nameless, yeah. where he talked to. So they asked him. Uh, what he would do with the Star Wars movie. And he sort of demurred from that idea and said he would be more interested in doing a Star Trek movie. Which, doesn't the Moss Eisley Cantina suit him so much better than the bridge of the Enterprise? I don't understand. But I think I think that's the same sort of thing. You know, he made uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, all sort of like gritty American crime movies. And then he went from that to Kill Bill. And I'm sure... I don't remember our reaction at the time, but I'm sure we were like, what? He's doing a kung fu movie? How is that going to work? And so I don't think he likes to follow things up with what you expect, necessarily. Mm. So for him to do a Star Trek movie is so left field, but also so perfect. And what he's talked about on that that, uh, podcast... I mean, our lesser competitor podcast. Our lesser, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it uh, you know, it's, it's from two years ago. So a lot can change in those two years. But some of the things he referenced were City on the Edge of Forever, a time travel episode. It's the classic, the original yeah, series episode, yeah. the most famous one. Arguably the best episode of Star Trek ever. Uh, tops a lot of lists. And he also referenced yesterday's Enterprise, which is an Next Generation episode, also a very well-regarded one. Uh, he got some of the details wrong, but we'll forgive him for that. He's more mm. of an original series guy. But clearly what he's interested in are time travel and alternate realities and weird takes on your favorite characters. Which, you know, there is a lot of room for that in Star Trek. There's the whole mirror universe. And so, so I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to go to the mirror Star Trek universe where they're all cowboys or <laughs> all fighting the Nazis or whatever, but... Hey, you know, there's a lot of precedence for Nazi fighting in Star Trek. I, I, I'm, listen, I'm not against it. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I'm not saying he doesn't... He's, like, it doesn't have to be an alternate Star Trek universe where they all behave like they're in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Right. But he does seem to exhibit certain patterns that, you know, like the last three or four of his movies have been these sort of historical revenge fantasies. Right. And it's, like, it's sort of, I mean, I don't know, but maybe this is just a personal opinion, but it seems like they're kind of treading the same ground over and over. Maybe he wants to break out of that, I guess. It just, it seems like such a strange fit. The other thing that I I don't think is getting enough uh, traction, and I I don't want to besmirch the man, but but his more recent movies have suffered from something that can happen with a lot of or to, uh, tours as they get more credibility and clout. It doesn't feel like there's anyone there saying, maybe you should cut this. Maybe mm. rework this scene. Maybe do that. With Star Trek, with J.J. Abrams, with a writer's room worth of people working on these ideas, there's going to be more voices to say, that's a great idea, but how about we do this? Yeah, just, yeah, just, just build a, a hallway to keep him in instead of just letting him running around in a big room. Right? Yeah. Keep him focused on the goal. Eh, it's possible. I think that might work out best. Like, uh, Pulp Fiction is his, his the movie he's best known for. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, relaunched John Travolta's career. 
put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that one. On that one, he had a co-writer. Roger Avery co-wrote that movie with him, which a lot of people sort of forget. And that is right. the so. DFI Tarantino. So his best stuff tends to come when he's working with other people. Now, as to the t- Travolta of it all, he did also say in that interview that he loved the original series, and he specifically mentioned William Shatner. You know, you go back to the original series, a lot of people talk about Leonard Nimoy and Spock as the the star-making performance, and Shatner's kind of a lovable joke because he's overacts and he's, he's you mm, know... Yeah, but he's Captain Kirk. He is, he is. If anyone could bring William Shatner back into the fold... <laughs> you think he's going to relaunch William Shatner's career? I mean, not that he needs the help. Shatner always seems to land on his feet, but, but if, it's been yeah. a while since he's been in a movie. All right, okay. If he's going to put William Shatner back onto the Enterprise, I'm behind him 100%. That is getting pitched, and who says no to Quentin Tarantino? So I'm sure we'll hear more about that before too long. Number two on the list, who ever thought we would be talking about Mega Man ever again? It's the 30th anniversary of the release of the original Mega Man on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was a huge video game for maybe 20 years. Uh, it's a platforming, run-and-gun shooter, a little blue robot. And it's had um, a world of spin-offs. Like, incredible it's not, spin-offs. It's not just the one line. Because, I mean, for me, I find the games a little repetitive. You know, it's always the same concept. You go through a level, you fight a boss, you get the boss's power, you use that power to beat other bosses, and then you fight Dr. Wily. But some of these other games have taken it in interesting directions. The X games are, are in a similar vein but have more of a storyline. Yeah, they have a more mature one. Yeah. It has more going on. Battle.net. Battle, yeah, Battle Network. Yeah. Is a, turns into the RPG one. Right, a Pokemon um, sort of. Essentially. Uh, there, yeah, there's a million spin-offs, which is what carried this for a while. Uh, but the original Mega Man basically kind of died off in the late 90s. And then around 2010 or so, maybe a little bit earlier... They released Mega Man 9 and Mega Man 10 new games, quote unquote, but using that like the retro styling. Like it as looked it, so much like an yeah, NES game, identical to the NES games, which was fun, but also not really a new experience. Yeah. You know, and the character just disappeared uh, to the point where Keiji Inafune, the guy who create uh, arguably created Mega Man, ended up leaving the, the game developing company, Capcom, and he went to start his own company. He launched a Kickstarter to, like, restart a new generation of Mega Man games. He made Mighty Number no. 9. We talked um, about that on a previous episode. Yeah, it turned out to be terrible. It's a shame. <laughs> Turns out making video games is hard. <laughs> but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we got dumped with Mega Man news. The highlight is they're making a brand new, modern Mega Man video game. They're making Mega Man 11. It's going to be out next year. So is that is the gentleman you mentioned, is he back on board for this He is one? not back on board. Ooh, yeah. intriguing. Was he, but he was involved in the other ones, the other more recent ones. Yes? To... Up until around 2010, I think. I don't have the exact dates in front of me. Okay. But yeah, I mean, he is mostly, like, he's an idea guy and an artist is the thing. Um, So in terms of, like, developing a game and level design and gameplay mechanics, that's not him. Right? It's not like being a a comic book creator where you write and draw or write and sort of draw with you. Like, being a video game involves a lot of people doing a lot of work. Definitely. Mega Man is sort of like his idea, but it was licensed to this gaming development company. They own Mega Man. Which is why he went and made Mighty Number no. Nine instead of taking the idea with him. Right. He left, and it wasn't very good. So it doesn't seem like that'll affect the gameplay at all. Like the core idea is still there. There's a new Mega Man game coming. I gotta say, the trailer came out. It was about what a minute and a half, but it looked 
gorgeous. Yeah, it's got this 2. Point, well, they call 2.5D, but that's a pretty nebulous term. The idea where you have sort of semi-3D sprites, the animated characters, but on a 2D plane. Mm. So you're still running from left to right. But it's and you really, can only go from left to right. <laughs> well, sometimes you go like up and then right to left. But yeah, but it's not like it's not a big 3D open world. It's not Mass Effect, and that wouldn't work for Mega Man. No, and it shouldn't. The whole fun of Mega Man is it's this cool platforming run and gun adventure. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what they've got. The, the, the graphics have the look of this hand drawn thing. They're obviously not hand drawn, but it has that style to it. It looks great, and it came out of nowhere. Like the fact, like Mega Man. Being dead is a joke. Like, it's a common joke on the internet. And then they just came out of nowhere with this. Now, besides that, they're also releasing a bunch of what they call legacy collections. Essentially, they're re-releasing all the classic Mega Man games and all the Mega Man X games for modern consoles. So yeah, the, the, there's there've been two legacy collections so far, and that's like the games, a bunch of the games on one disc or one download. Yeah, it's a collection. Of, yeah. I think the first one is Mega Man One to Six, and the second one is Seven to Ten, which spans the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, um, and then downloadable like to whatever, um, which have been released for other things already. You can get it on on Steam right now, um, but it's coming now to to PS4, to Xbox One, and to Switch. Um, that one's coming out in spring, and then in the summer, they're releasing a brand new collection of all the Mega Man X games. So, new Mega Man game, awesome. Opportunity to play all the classic Mega Man games again, great, especially on the Nintendo Switch, because that is a great platform for it. Having that whole library available to you at any time, and in something that you can pick up and carry with you, super exciting. Also coming for the PS4 and Xbox One, if that's your jam, that's fine. I Listen, I like the PS4, but Mega Man was a big Nintendo thing for a long time. Yeah. Having him back, that's really cool. And this Mega Man 11 out of nowhere, nutso. Could this be a relaunching of Mega Man's career? Like, could they, like, who knows? He was an icon. Like, he had cartoons. Oh, yeah, he had several cartoon series. He had bazillions of video games. I, when I was a kid, I had my mother make me some Mega Man t-shirts. Because you couldn't find merch for Nintendo right. when we were a kid. So she had some kind of, like, some kind of ink that you put on a t-shirt and heated it up, I guess. And you, you could, so you could, so she drew, like, a Mega Man wow. like, cover art on it for me. Um I was a little spoiled, I guess. <laughs> it's I cannot stress enough my excitement. That aside, it's bound to be a really... Well, we hope it's going to be a really cool game. We also thought Mighty Number no. 9 would be good. It didn't work out. But new Mega Man and access to all the old Mega Man, thumbs up. Thank you, Capcom. Very nice. So, number one. Number one. It's a trailer for Infinity War. I mean, we're not going to bury the lead, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you all watched it. It was a trailer for Infinity War. I just... This this is the... Like, when Iron Man came out and it ended and they dropped a hint about the Avengers, the Avengers was going to be the biggest thing in the world. And it was. It's yeah. one of the most successful movies of all time. Fantastic. Then they said, now we're going to take it up a notch. <laughs> and we're going to have the Avengers and all these other characters. And now that that's finally happening and holy... Cripes, this must be an expensive movie to make. Yes, there's like every actor you can name is in this movie. Yeah, and we see most of them in this trailer. We see everybody from Black Panther to Winter Soldier to the Guardians of the Galaxy. We get to see, you know, Captain America with his beard. Yeah. It's apparently a big deal. (laughs) It's a good looking beard. Just, you know, 10 plus years of Marvel movies have all been leading up to this and to the showdown with Thanos. Now, I don't want to, uh, I don't necessarily want to 
knock someone down to, while we uh, bring someone else up, but this is what the Justice League needed, you know? Yeah. Haven't seen the Justice League movie, to be fair. I've been a you're, little busy. You're fine. <laughs> but there's, it's like, what, the third, fourth movie in that franchise? And it's trying to be more than it can be because they have to introduce all these characters. There's no ground floor. we don't really care about. Yeah. In Marvel, the ground floor has been established. And then more, like, they've had their own adventures. Yeah. And then we've started with the crossovers. So now you don't know whose movie you're watching. Right. You watch Captain America and Iron Man is in it and Black Panther is in it. And you that's watch, what like, the Marvel Universe was about when it started in the 60s. It was exactly. Like, Anyone could bump into anyone because they were all in New York. They were all like the Hulk guest starred in uh, an early issue of the Fantastic Four. Uh, Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one has the Fantastic Four on the cover. They were all connected. And that's and that's the best part. And the, the best, like, whenever they, like, Marvel has their Marvel events. Right. When something crazy happens in the Marvel Universe and they bring in everybody. <laughs> and that's what's happening now. Like the, you know, the, the Infinity Gauntlet and... What is it, like Thanos Quest? And there's a, there's a, there's a few Infinity different arcs. War. Infinity yeah. War, I think, I think is it's drawing a lot from. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big deal in the Marvel Universe, and seeing it all on screen is going to be amazing. Some cool things that we picked out out of the trailer, like, there's actually, they're dropping a lot of weird hints. Like, we, for, I, was, I was surprised. We see a lot of Doctor Strange and Wong. Yeah. Which, you, know, you wouldn't think Wong would necessarily have a big role to play as he's, he's, Pretty much Doctor Strange's sidekick, but, but he's in yeah, a lot of. He's this. like a B. He's like the B character sidekick to a Marvel Universe B. Like, <laughs> but it, lots of Doctor Strange is in there. We see the Vision with a human form. Yeah, which that was is kind of cool. And, and he's clearly developing into that relationship with Scarlet Witch that happens in the comics, which is that's interesting on a lot of different levels. We've seen there's a shot right after we see a shot of Black Widow with her new blonde hair, which I. Um, which uh, it was hmm. a little weird, but I'm sure it'll be explained. I mean, she can change her hair. She's, sure. she's allowed. It is like the red hair is a thing for that character, but fine, whatever. It's okay. But we see a shot right after that of Bruce Banner, who I guess is back for for starters because it, I haven't seen Ragnarok, so okay. I don't know what that means. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and we see him standing next to like a like a destroyed Hulkbuster arm. Right. That combined with, uh, I mean, spoilers. It's, it's, it's a trailer. Yeah. That combined with some stuff we've been seeing in the Lego marketing. There's been. It's looking like for some reason Bruce Banner is driving the Hulkbuster suit. Interesting. Which is like, what's going on there? That does explain something that I noticed. There, there seem to be two different groups happening. There was Doctor Strange, Wong, Bruce Banner, and uh, Iron Man, who were in New York in the early parts of the trailer. Right. And then the later part of the trailer, you see Iron Man, Captain America... No, you see Captain America, War Machine, Falcon, uh, and... Winter, Winter, Soldier Winter Soldier and Black Panther. And Hulk in Wakanda. Right. So maybe the two get split somehow? Maybe the two, maybe they're on opposing sides, like, like Hulk and and Bruce Banner. Remember, at this at this point in the Marvel story, they're still at odds, right? There's registration and not like after yeah. Civil War, so that's something that's going to have to get resolved in this movie. I, like just, ah, it's, <laughs> there's so much cool stuff here. A lot of a lot of Wakanda stuff too. So we're going to have to wait to see Black Panther early next year. To so get the hints of that. That kind of bugged me. I, there were spoilers for Ragnarok in there, but that's my fault because it's been out for a couple months and yep. there's plenty of opportunity to see it. But you you kind of know that a bunch of characters are going to make it through Black Panther to get to this movie. Well, yeah, but 
I know it's unavoidable, yeah. but yeah. like I mean, if anything, I would say you know they're going to get it through because they're highly paid Hollywood actors. Like they're not going to kill any of these people off. I don't know though. Like like you knew Black Panther was going to make it. It was a Black Panther movie. He's part of the Marvel universe, but but I don't know the names of a lot of the the characters from the Black Panther movie. But Michonne from The Walking Dead, she's oh, in I see what you're saying. So, yeah, like, characters like that who had a, you know fifty fifty chance of surviving. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's spoilers, but I just it's it's all been building to this, and there are so many questions about tiny little details like that. Oh, uh, another one: we see Spider Man in like at, in at the end of Homecoming, he turns down the cool new Robo Spider suit, but now he's wearing it. He's, yeah, it was like metal thing. It's yeah, it's like the, it's like the closest thing we've seen in the movie to the Iron Spider suit. Yeah, so you also see his in Homecoming. You never really see a dramatic example of his oh, Spidey sense. sense. But in this, at one point, the hair on his arms go up, and it's it's pretty indicative of a Spidey sense. Yeah, he immediately turns around to see that. Yeah. yeah. This is the biggest thing that has ever happened in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And you're right. It is, if anything, it so dramatically outshines Justice League. It is so obviously what Justice League wanted to be and could never be. It's just, it's a riot. We are so jazzed for this, and how could you not be? Um, Infinity War is coming out at the end end of next year. May fourth. May fourth. Halfway so, through next yeah, year. Yeah. A lot um, sooner. A lot sooner. So shortly on the heels of Black Panther, it's going to be an exciting time. That was the news for this week. Uh, we'll be right back with our next special segment. So please stay tuned. Geek Top Five. Welcome to the second half of this episode of Geek Top Five. This week, we're doing something we've only done once before. <laughs> Where like some men have gone before. It yeah. doesn't have quite the same ring to it, does it? The best of the year. Our favorite things from this past year. It's coming to the end of 2017. Some people only you know, phew, think that's about time. Uh, but there was some <laughs> cool stuff that happened this year, and we're looking back on it with fond memories. I guess it's almost as much of a Thanksgiving thing as it is a holiday yeah, thing. Yeah, we're, we're a little early, but we feel like our, our next episode, we're, there's going to be a big topic that might take up a lot of our time. So we're trying to get this <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> best of the year stuff done with. Uh, yeah, so let's start with the first one on my list. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman with Gal, Gal Gadot. I Gal think. Gadot. Yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced. That's how she pronounces it. She's got a better accent. She's got a cuter accent than I do. <laughs> uh, that's for and sure. And I would like to hope she knows how to pronounce her name. Yeah. Well, I, anyway, Wonder Woman, the good DC movie. Yeah, unfortunately, with the good current DC movie, I feel like we're not giving enough credit to, you know, the original Superman and the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Well, sure, movies. but you don't think of them as being in the same thing. Like, they aren't... You think of them as being developed by studios, or as the modern superhero movie. Like, you know, you think of them as Marvel movies. Yeah, they're like, all part of a universe, whereas, you know, the Batman movies were Batman movies. The Superman movie was yeah. a Superman movie. And, you, know, you know, the Nolan Batman movies. Yeah. They're not DC movies. They're, it's a DC license, but they're right. Nolan movies. Wonder Woman is the good DC movie. Um, even the people I've talked to who said, you know, yeah, it was okay, they still had still generally favorable reviews and a lot of people who really liked it. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's got a lot going for it because of it's, it, the message of hope in it and the message of just, just it's a good humor movie, you know? it's There's no big ideas in it, but it's a, a, a simple relatively simple plot to follow and it's fun and you get something out of it you leave the theater feeling good about yourself and you can go on with your day exactly it, you know it didn't have to be requiem for a dream right um, or i don't know what else is a famous movie that changed the way you think 
<laughs> we hung out with weird people in high school. So all the ones I can think of are like Fight Club. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. But, it's, yeah, it was just a fun adventure for a while. And, you know, it helps that there were some great performances across the board. Like, you think of Gal Gadot and, and what's his name? Chris Pine. Chris Pine. There's so many Chris's. Yeah, it's true. You could have just uh, said Chris. You could have just said Chris. Yeah, you cover it. Um, who both did very con- like, very convincing characters. It seemed like there isn't a lot to them. There's not a lot of depth. They're not very complicated characters. But you enjoyed sort of them being around, and you knew what they were on about, and it went really well. Yeah. Um, they just they they maintained a screen presence very successfully throughout the whole thing. I bought the whole thing. At a candy, very charming. At a candy, very charming. Yeah, underused if anything. Yeah. It was great. The whole like you know not quite the howling commandos. The, that right. the, the whole crew was yeah. uh, entertaining. If, since we're talking uh, DC, it would be Easy Company. Easy Company. Okay. Howling Commandos, uh, Nick Fury Marvel thing. Well, yeah, but... and technically a knockoff of Easy Company, but that's <laughs> it's so complicated. <laughs> it's still yeah. No, we, it's a, we're thankful for Wonder Woman because it was just a good, fun movie. I mean, not every movie has to push boundaries, and I don't even know how to describe it. There's something in that DC universe that they just can't make things click. And and the thing about the DC comics is for the vast majority of the time they've existed, the characters have been gods, you know? They're they're larger than life, and they come down, they help the little people, and they go back off and do what they need to do. The Marvel characters tend to be grittier, they're, they're, they're down to earth, they're people we can relate to. The DC ones are a bit above it all, they're a bit above us, and... That makes them a bit sillier, a bit more like mythology characters, and that was missing in the other ones. Like everything in Superman was so dire, everything in Batman versus Superman was so dark and grim and dire, and trying to make it gritty. Whereas this just reveled in the extraness of the whole thing. And it took place during World War One, like in the trenches. Like there's no reason why it couldn't have been gritty and dire. Yeah. But I just, the scene where she comes up out of the trench and reveals the Wonder Woman outfit and just goes charging into no man's land was her, you wanted to stand up and root and <laughs> applaud, right? It was just heroic in exactly the way the other ones were missing. It, Wonder Woman was great. I'm, I'm glad it came out. It, um, Directed by Patty Jenkins. We're looking forward to number two. Hopefully that'll be out uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, as soon as possible. Please. <laughs> Uh, so what's uh, what's the first thing on your list? Oh, okay. Um, first thing on my list I had for things this year, uh, early this year, I wanted to... I, hmm, it's mixed feelings, but I, I will remember Mass Effect Andromeda from this year. Mass Effect, such a treasured franchise, so close to our hearts, and the hype and the excitement for it. And then it came out with this whole new world, and it was a blast to play. Just really cool combat mechanics and lots of cool things to do. And then just... Failed and all the other parts. Yeah, the story, um, the story which is the heart of Mass the Effect. The heart of Mass you know, Effect is the story and the world building. The, and just there the, aren't many video games that I go looking for more of when it's over. You know, usually a video game ends. If I get to the end, I'll I'm done with it after playing it. Whereas with this, I wanted more. I read the comics, I read the novels, I read yeah. Wikipedia entries. Yeah, the classic Mass Effect trilogy, each game came with a codex. It was basically an in-game Wikipedia. Like, I would come home after a day of work, sit down, and open up this encyclopedia and just read 
yeah. about like how lasers work in this franchise or what food this species can eat. And it was all fascinating. That's in this too. And I found after the first few entries, I was like, it almost became like homework. Like, do I really want to read more of yeah, this? Yeah, play? I like, no, I do not care enough. And same thing with the game. Mass Effect is such an expansive world, and they give you so much to do. And in Mass Effect Andromeda, by the end of the game, I was just rushing through it, mm-hmm. trying to get to the end, because I was waiting for something interesting to happen. I just The characters were so bland, the villains were so cliched and uninteresting. Eventually, a tell-all was released by Jason Schreier, who reported like, there were apparently huge problems behind the scenes, behind this game. Like, there's, we've gone over it in more detail, and it suffered. It obviously suffered, but I will still remember like, the promise that this game had. And I, mean, I know it's silly, but the theme song, the music from this game, it's, on, it's a track called A Better Beginning. Somebody remind me if I don't link it on, our, on the Facebook when we post this. Message me, I'll post it. <laughs> Beautiful piece of music that sums up this sense of exploring the unknown, and it ramps up into this adventure. Like it's, it's everything about the promise that this game should have had and didn't. And so it's mixed feelings. On the one hand, I'm really disappointed by Mass Effect Andromeda, and honestly, I'm totally okay with it being over. The way they shut down that studio and said no more content, like I'm done with that. that but if ever they were to revisit the Mass Effect universe itself again... I would still be on board just because I love that place. And even though it wasn't quite back there, both literally and figuratively in the story of the game, it was great to be back. What surprises me a little about it is how little we ended up playing the multiplayer. With Mass Effect 3, we played the multiplayer a lot. Well, it was the exact same multiplayer as Mass Effect 3. I, but, just... I mean, it feels like that's even more reason to, to play it because we'd be, we'd be familiar with it. Yeah, I mean, I like tortellini, and I, I ate a lot of tortellini growing up. And you know what? Eventually, you can't eat any more tortellini. Like, I just feel like maybe if the game was more throw engrossing. Some, throw some sauce on there. Maybe like, like make it Alfredo instead of with like tomatoes. Just change it up or something. But. I feel like maybe if we'd been more interested in the, the main game, the, the, the multiplayer would have been more appealing as well. True. It would have built on that, like, I want to be there. And with Andromeda is a place I didn't want to be. Speaking of a place you don't really want to be, the Punisher... Marvel Netflix show. This is your number two. That's my number two on this. Not that we're ranking these. It's it's yeah you know, things we remember. The second from this year. thing I'm putting on my list. The Punisher is fairly recent. Very recent, but it was, uh, and to my mind, it's the best of the Marvel Netflix shows. And when I say I don't want to be there, it is a gritty, violent, the everything Wonder Woman isn't is in this show, and it is. There are times where it's like a hard watch because there's there's some gruesome stuff that happens, but it suits the character. You know, Superman, Batman, they don't need to be that dark and gritty. They're they're fantastical characters with capes. This is a dude with guns and PTSD who feels the need to to kill anyone who is even the least bit morally gray. You know, he's a bad guy. And one of the things I liked about the show was how they didn't try to make him a hero. You know he's he's your protagonist, but he's not a good guy. Right. He's just he's a, he's a guy who messes up other worse guys. Yeah. It's actually a line from Deadpool, I think. <laughs> 
Um, and it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting look at the damage that can happen to people in these situations. The uh, the whole like secret conspiracy thing I found was a little like cliche, but the way they handled it in a way of sort of examining PTSD, examining like what happens to people who are involved in these horrible situations, was something I wasn't expecting from yeah. the show. And it, it in its own way, it really touched on some very modern issues. And one of the ways it did that is there's a character who's got sort of a parallel narrative, and it comes to a head in episode 10, I think, and he's he's inspired by, by Frank Castle. He's inspired by the Punisher and starts attacking policemen and, and government agencies, and, you know, uh, the Punisher has to stop him and be like, no, you're, what you're doing is wrong. But they never... Like, he has to stop him because obviously he's attacking the, the wrong people, mm-hmm. but... They never make it clear that Frank is really any better than him. Yeah, it's like, what's the difference between him and Lewis? Yeah. Like, the only difference is that he's very good at his job. Right. Whereas Lewis is just is you know. much less skilled and at it, being messed up. And that's something they bring up in the comics a lot. They'll introduce these these bad guys who are inspired by Punisher, but don't do it as well. And the idea is like, well... Punisher's in the right because he only kills the worst of the worst, and he never screws up. He never kills the wrong person. So that's why we can root for him. And it just always rings a little hollow to me. And this, they never really make that argument. Like, you, you part of you likes Frank Castle, but you also see he's he's not a hero. Yeah, he's he's messed up. Like, it goes way past revenge at this point. He's just hurting people who he thinks need to be hurt. And you're kind of reacting like, whoa. Yeah. And, and I mean, take it easy, and he never takes it easy. Last time we talked about it, we neither of us had finished the show. I, I recently polished it off, and there's a character, Billy Russo, who I knew immediately because I'm a comic nerd that he's this character called Jigsaw. And from his first introduction in the comics, his face has been super messed up. But the Billy Russo on the TV show is a beautiful man. He's got quite the the handsome, chiseled features, and yet still like clearly a bad guy. Yeah, like, but. By the end, I, so I spent the whole time being like, when is his face going to get messed up? <laughs> I see, right. When is his face going to get messed up? And in the last episode, Frank Castle messes his face up with extreme graphic violence, and you don't feel good about it. Like, it is torture what he does to him, and I don't think you're supposed to be like, ha-ha, Frank Castle wins the day. I think you're supposed to go, oh, God. Right. And <laughs> So when that character returns as Jigsaw in the No Doubt Season 2, right. it's, yeah, like, where do your loyalties lie? Yeah. Maybe you're kind of rooting for Jigsaw because he got messed up by this horrible man. It almost would have been, you know, better if he just put a bullet in his head and that had been that. And then you could be like, well, you know, what Billy Russo did was bad. And, and Frank killed him, but he did it in a, a humane way. just took him out. No fuss, no muss. This, he's like in living agony for the rest of whatever his pathetic existence is going to be. It's a good show about very bad people. Yes. All right, what's your number two? Number two on my list, uh, the Nintendo Switch is another thing I'm going to remember from this year. came out back in March. Such a cool idea for a console. Uh, you know, I'm still not 100% sold on it. I think for a portable, it's still a little big. It's a little bulky. It's it's hard to, like, take out on the subway. But it's so convenient. And like all Nintendo products, it just works. Right. Um, you know, it just every game I've played for it has been phenomenal. Like, it launched with Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and critics lost their minds. And just recently, Mario Odyssey came out, and critics lost their minds again. 
that is something that I feel like Nintendo has has brought back with a vengeance with this system is the covetable exclusives. Yeah. You know? In the recent years, in the Xbox versus PlayStation years where, Mar- where Marvel, where Nintendo has taken sort of a, a back seat to that stuff, the idea of exclusive content has, has dwindled. There's not a lot that yeah, makes what, you want to get a PS4 over uh, an Xbox. Yeah, like who's the exclusive character on PlayStation? Right. Right? I mean, may, yeah. maybe God of War, but there hasn't been a God of War game for a long time, and there hasn't been a good one for even longer. <laughs> I guess on Xbox, it's Master Chief, but he's not even the star of the Halo franchise anymore. And the Halo franchise... Yeah, the last couple of games have blown chunks. (laughs) No, but the Switch... I mean, Nintendo always makes these just perfect games. And you never have to download any patches. You never have to, like, fix any bugs. You never have to, like, you know, pave or... Like, you know, Mario Kart 8 on the Wii was their first one where they, they had paid DLC, and you got fortunes of stuff. You got new characters and new tracks and there's none of this microtransaction horse blank. (laughs) Yeah. Like Switch just it's such a great place to be. And I mean just recently like I was playing an old Metal Gear game and my wife pointed out that I wasn't having a lot of fun. I was getting frustrated and upset and I ended up buying Mario on the Switch and it's just a joy to play. I mean yeah it's because part of it is because it's aged down a little but they Nintendo makes games that are incredibly innovative, incredibly polished, and incredibly fun. And what's what's sort of hampered them in recent years is the the equipment that they use, like the Wii U and the Wii. They've been sort of hard to work with. Even the GameCube, they were systems that were hard to work with. So Nintendo was making decent games for them or good games for them, but there wasn't a lot of incentive for other companies to put stuff on it. The Switch, they're back in that business. Yeah, the Switch is. Pl- it's not quite an Xbox One, but it's plenty powerful. You know, you can run the new Doom on it. It's out there. That's great. It's getting so they're getting their third party games. Skyrim is out on it now. If you haven't played Skyrim yet, or you have to do that again, um, and it's just so convenient and so easy and so clever. Like the Switch changed the way I play games, and just even the fact that it delivered on everything it promised is so rare in video gaming nowadays. Yeah, I just like I feel happy knowing that I have one, which is crazy right now. Switch is definitely something I'll remember. All right, so the next thing on my list is another thing of pure joy, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, yeah. Another movie. It was uh, just a blast. You know, I I like a lot of the Spider-Man movies. But the weird thing, especially as we get further on my list, is I'm not really a huge Spider-Man fan. I find, especially in the modern interpretations of the character, he's, he's fun when he's in the suit, but he's a real sad sack outside of the suit, and he's always like, oh, what was me? Why did all this bad stuff happen to me? He gives up being Spider-Man like every other issue. Yeah. Uh, but this is like... Spider-Man at the peak of what a good Spider-Man is, where he's young, he's finding his powers, he's having fun doing it, and he's he's just he, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. I don't know that, that they should have called it Spider-Man fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, don't forget a big part of this. I mean, part of the reason why they call it Homecoming is the return of the Spider-Man franchise to Marvel where it belongs. Yeah, um, which is just great to see because having it stuck out there with the Andrew Garfield movies doing absolutely nothing to the franchise, right? Doing it no favors. I mean, Spider-Man is the flagship character of Marvel, so to have him be able to be part of the the big mar- movie universe is 
perfect. It's and about you, time. And you can tell it's where he belongs. Like, they knew exactly what to do with the character. Like, I still feel like maybe not my favorite Spider-Man movie, but my favorite... Really? But my favorite Spider-Man Right. Like yes. he was incredible as Peter Parker, and he was incredible as Spidey. All right, let's do it. Impromptu top five Spider-Man movies. There are only five Spider-Man <laughs> movies. Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't know. There's man. actually six. Okay. Um. Well, my favorite <laughs> is probably two with Doc Ock. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that as your whole answer. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> that sums it up. I think. Yeah, it's a very good movie. That Spider-Man two, but it's it's not part of the Marvel universe, yeah. right? And besides the fact that it's not just that other characters don't appear in it, but the tone is weird. Like, the tone is of an action movie. Yeah, I mean, it's also... a Marvel movie. It's also a Sam Raimi movie, very much in the Sam Raimi mold. Where That's it's true. like an elevated B movie. Whereas this, I mean, it, John Watts directs it, and, and one of the... One of the interesting things about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the directors don't seem to have a ton of control over their properties. They, they're they answering to other people. Other people are in control of what the story is and what other characters are in it and what needs to happen. So this the tone of this fits in perfectly with the other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. You don't get to see a lot of what John Watts brings to it, if he brings anything, but it's it fits perfectly with what we like about all the other Marvel movies. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, like, one of the biggest realizations to take away from this, it's like, he fought the vulture in this movie. And that I don't always remember that. What I remember is who he is and trying to go to the party yeah. and, like, trying to figure out the suit. And, like, when he gets caught by his friend. And, like, all the funny things about Spider-Man. Like, really, like, the superhero adventure is kind of a B-plot right. to him being Spider-Man and to the joy of that. And that's what this movie did so well. But... One of the great things about it is the Vulture is not a great villain. Like, no, they made it, yeah. They, Michael the Keaton made it up. Yeah, yeah. The, the Vulture in the comics is pretty lame. <laughs> uh, they, did, they, did, they did fine in the movie. They, I they, think they, they did a did, great job. They made him a legitimate threat, which is something that's hard to say about an old man in a bird costume. True. Yeah, the, the, the Power Rangering up the suit, or sort of Iron Manning up the suit yeah. was pretty cool. They gave him, I, I don't know if I bought his motivation the whole way. I don't know. The Vulture, like... Given what they had to work with with the Vulture, they did really well. Yeah. Um, that's not what the movie will be remembered for. But, but again, that makes it for a great origin story villain. Right. You know, like, get him out there and then get him out of the way. Yeah. Uh, number three on my list from this year, also kind of recent, Star Trek Discovery. I, we went through a phase where we weren't even sure this show was going to happen. There was trouble behind the scenes. People were getting recast as each other's characters. There were delays. That that recasting stuff, there might be a bit of a wink-wink nudge, yeah, nudge to that. Which, but we, we probably won't get into it in this podcast, but we'll talk about maybe... A future podcast. Right. I won't, because I called it and we you have... Did. We'll see. We'll see <laughs> if it turns out to be true. <laughs> but, any case, Star Trek Discovery, the return of Star Trek. We've been wanting Star Trek to come back since the J.J. movies launched because the J.J. movies are great, but they're not quite Star Trek. Yeah. And that turns into a bigger argument, what is Star Trek? And I think for most people, Star Trek is Kirk and Picard. And then a little bit of some of the other stuff. like And it's episodic, right? Yeah. It's like, you want it every week. It's sci-fi exploration. Like, a little bit of action and a little bit of funny, but a cool science fiction adventure. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what Discovery gives us. Um, to be fair, I do think it's a really great show. It is sort of episodic, but with a continuing arc, which, yeah. is, which works. It's very dark for Star Trek. 
And, and uh, the continuity stuff, I know I need to put it behind me, but the continuity stuff really bugs me. Like, yeah. just a prime example, there's uh, an episode with Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd was in two episodes of the original series and one episode of the animated series, and he's he's usually a goof, you know? He's a big glug, and he's a, thinks he's a great con artist, but he's really just... He, yeah, he's jerk. comic relief. And in this episode, he's murdering the crew and then rewinding time and murdering yeah, that was them again. So frustrating. And I was like, that, why is Harry Mudd a murderer? And then they just let him go yeah. at the end. It's like I wanted to throw Yeah, there's all kinds of continuity stuff that drives me crazy. Um, the first Harry Mudd episode where like the captain leaves him in prison, that shut me off of the show for a while. I, mm. I was telling no, that's not how Starfleet works. This isn't Star Trek. Given some breathing room. Like, I can watch the show and say, okay, this is a different kind of Star Trek. It has a lot of similar features, but it can be a different thing. And once I've learned to accept that, I've found myself being able to really enjoy it more. Also, Lorca, as much as I think he's the most interesting character in the show... And oh, by far. Yeah. He beats the hell out of the protagonist. Yeah, too. but that's not necessarily an unusual thing or a bad thing, but he's... He's a very interesting character, but he's also very different from any other Starfleet captain we've seen, and intentionally so. I mean, he's. it seems like in the mid-season finale that we just saw recently, it seemed like he was going to be taken into custody soon. Like, they were trying to lure him back to Well, Starbase. yeah, that's why we think he sort of deliberately sabotaged yeah. things. Yeah, he is fascinating because... Over the course of the first few episodes, we get the imp- like that he's sort of a harsh captain. I mean, he's actually really a bad guy. And then he almost seems to be lightening up again. And then he makes some other decisions. And it's like, like there's something wrong mm-hmm. with this captain. Which part of me is like, well, that's not Star Trek. The Starfleet captain is supposed to be the ideal. The way Superman is the ideal. But once I let that go, watching this character and seeing what happens to him is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean there are other here. I know I'm getting nitpicky here, but one of the things that also bugs me, where if I could get past all the continuity stuff, this would still bug me. The Doctor character that we see, they establish very early on, he's not the chief medical officer on the ship, and yet whenever there's any medical problem, that's the guy they go to. He's the doctor. That bugs me so much, and I like the character. Oh, there's all kinds of things. The long range mind meld, like that they mind meld, like that's so ridiculous. Ridiculous. But again, like that's because that's not what you know merging your soul with a Vulcan would really be like in real life. It's like at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Though that's always gonna bother me about this show, is that it's taking a lot of liberties with what's established. The Klingons still look ridiculous. Yeah. They've come a bit of a ways, they finally got it so that the actors playing them can just speak English. Yeah. Like as cool as it was to hear the language, it's just it was just it ridiculous. Took, you know, it, a day and a half for them to spit out a sentence because they're Big fake teeth. And yeah, everything. it took nine episodes where they can finally just talk. Yeah, so it's so they're getting there. But Star Trek Discovery will be the return of Star Trek, and despite all these little nitpicks that we uber geeks have with it, it's great TV, and it's and it's a success, and there's going to be more of it. It's been a long time since there's been consistent new Star Trek, and I think that's great. So the next thing on my list is another Netflix series. It's called Mindhunter. And I don't know if it would typically fall under the geek realm, but at least one of the characters on it is a geek. But anyway, let me digress. So this is a series that takes place in the the 70s, I believe. And it's, or late 70s, anyway. And it's, it's about the discovery of the 
tropes and things we know about serial killers now, this is how they figured those out. These, these two guys going around interviewing serial killers and learning the similarities between them, like what makes them tick and how to profile a serial killer. Like everything you see on Criminal Minds every week comes from the the characters these guys are based on. And it was it's by David Fincher, who's one of my favorite film directors. He it's not by him, but he directed the first few episodes. He set the tone for what it looks like and man it's gorgeous to look at. The storytelling is is dense and complicated, and, and they don't spoon-feed you anything. And there's the good guys aren't very good, and the bad guys are kind of sympathetic. <laughs> it's <laughs> wild. And it's the, there's the first episode, they talk with this guy. He's this giant, and he's this serial killer who's done heinous things. And they talk about these... These things that I have never even heard of as a possibility for someone to do to someone else. And I was like, well, I must have made this up. And I start reading about it. He's like a real guy. There was this giant who was serial killing people in California. So this is sort of document, like, well, not documentary-ish, but it's like based on a true story kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. It's the, this guy has been depicted in one form or another and and. Different. He's inspired a lot of your favorite fictional characters. Mm. Like a lot of Hannibal stuff comes from from these guys. The the main character, the person he represents, has written a bunch of books about serial killers and profiled a bunch of serial killers. And he was a real FBI agent. And it's it's just riveting stuff. And it's it's interesting to see all these things that we sort of know from pop culture and news about profiling the the warning signs of serial killers. And these guys are are finding them, and their bosses are being like, oh, you're wasting your time, you should be doing other stuff. Yeah, that's a pretty thing. It's a little tired, isn't it? It is, except it's real. It's like a true <laughs> story. It's, uh, I am I was riveted by it, and uh, like every minute we watched, you know, my jaw would drop, because A, it was gorgeous to look at, and B, it was horrifying to, to learn about these characters. So there we go. That's That's my thing. I... If 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 serial killers are in any way up your alley, which then you know don't talk to us because <laughs> we don't want any. You know we're not touching that one. But it's a fascinating <laughs> show, and I can't wait for season two. Fair enough. Uh, next one on my list is essentially the same one as the last one on my list. Star, Star Trek is back, and we also have to mention the Orville. Uh, the, the Orville. If Discovery was a really good show that does its own thing with a semi-familiar Star Trek setting. Orville is a Star Trek setting that just doesn't happen to have the Star Trek license and took a little bit to figure out what it wanted to be. Um, when we initially talked about it on the show, it was Seth MacFarlane on a Star Trek show. And it was a little... The best part of the show was the part where it was Star Trek. Right. Since that episode, I feel like they've come a long way and they've sort of... It's been integrated better into having a Star Trek episode with a little more comedy than you would expect from the bridge of the Enterprise-D. It's definitely gotten better at combining the two things. I mean, in some of the early episodes, Seth MacFarlane's character, it was almost like Stewie, you know, on Family Guy. Yeah. Where he would talk and you wouldn't know who was hearing what he was saying. Because what he was saying made no sense. Right. And no one ever reacted to it. Yeah, and they just ignored him. And they've gotten better at just at toning that down. There's still jokes, but they're appropriate jokes for the universe. Yeah. 
And that works out so well. It addresses that need that we have for episodic Star Trek maybe almost too well because some of the episodes are really close to Star Trek episodes. Very strongly inspired. But seeing, you know, a slightly different take on them with slightly more irreverent characters and a bit of humor works out really well. I think for both of us, the standout episode was the one that guest starred Rob Lowe. Um, Fantastic! Great guest stars on this show, by oh, the way. Amazing. I figure out how they get that to work. But yeah, it was a great mix of like a legitimate sci-fi concept, the kind of thing, the exact scenario that we could see the Enterprise being assigned to, but because of the people involved, they solved it in a funny way, and funny things were happening. Yeah. Like, None of that would have happened to Picard and Riker and to Troy and because... It just wouldn't fit that show. Yeah. But this show, it wasn't ridiculous and irreverent. It was just a funny thing that was happening. And because these are funny people, they were able to deal with it. Funnily, if that's a word. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. And that's exactly what I want to see out of this. And I'm really liking it. I, I do hope they do spread their wings a little bit further from the, the sort of TNG Voyager tropes that we are seeing. Like, they take similar ideas that we already have seen in Star yeah. Trek and they, put they've a done bit pa- of a twist on them. They've done parallel development twice already. And it's like, right. like, okay, guys, come on now. But, I mean, one of the, the in the most recent episode that, that uh, I've seen at this point, they... Like took a Star Trek thing, a Star Trek The Next Generation thing, note for note, where they took the black helmsman who didn't have a ton to do and made him the chief engineer. Ah. Yeah. I mean, that's like pretty on the nose, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, did he also become blind? Like it's... (laughs) Well, I won't get into it, but (laughs) it was... I just hope that they start... Uh, addressing more unique sci-fi concepts. Like, it's been 10 years since we had a a Star Trek series on the air where they had weekly episodic sci-fi problems to deal with. I feel like, I mean, by the end of Enterprise and Voyager, a lot of the stories were feeling rehashed and, and a stretch and, like, not that creative. But it's been 10 years. There are new, interesting things that they could do. There's a lot of territory to mine, and I feel like they're going back to the well a little bit, but I'm still enjoying watching yeah. it. Yeah, and it makes sense that they would go back to that well to get the show established, right? It's, it's, right. it's already been renewed for season two. People are liking it, at least liking it enough to keep making more. So now that they've sort of got that groundwork in place, and they do really seem to be finding their tone... We can probably expect bigger things from this in the near future, and I'm in some ways more excited about that than I am about Discovery. Because as great as that arc is, having the cool sci-fi thing of the week, that's a a blast. Definitely. So, the last thing on my list, uh, it wouldn't be a list of mine if I didn't have some sort of comic book on there. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. We got comic book movies, comic book TV shows, we gotta have actual comic books on here. And it's probably not going to make a lot of best-of lists for 2017. But it's a big Spider-Man crossover event called Dead No More, the clone conspiracy. So A clone is a, is a bad word in Spider-Man comics. Yeah, but when the clone, the original clone saga started in the 90s, they introduced Ben Riley, who was a, a clone of Spider-Man, and then maybe he was the real Spider-Man, and then it turned out he was definitely a clone again. But he was, at that point... Spider-Man was married, he had so much trauma going on in his life, he had gone, like, berserker mad with rage, and he was was sort of hard to read and and see the lovable, fun-loving Spider-Man that, you know, sells cartoon shows and underoos. 
Ben Riley was the Spider-Man we know and love from the the sixties without all this baggage that had been piled on him over the ensuing decades. He'd had his own life, and he was a, a blank slate to to build new stuff on as he came into the the into New York again. Then all this clone saga stuff kept going on and on, and he became more of a frustrating character, and everyone got tired of the clone stuff, so they killed him off. Which I feel like was a bit of a missed opportunity, because there was a lot they could still have done with him. It was getting real old, though. And there were more clones at some point, right? Yeah, like, there's Kane, and there's all Yeah, like it, it got pretty silly. Side. Yeah, but I still think the Ben Riley character was really interesting. And But because of the taint of the rest of the clone saga, it seemed like a pretty safe bet we would never see him again. But in this crossover, they brought him back, and they made him a villain, which... I was kind of disappointed about because that's how they reintroduce every character. Yeah, who's been, they buckied him, and it was. But it was like I. They, oh, they should have called him the Winter Spider. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, they called him the Jackal, which has all these other hangups with it. And the, the crossover was was okay, but the ultimate outcome of it was that Ben Riley was back and he was involved. And I, I, I at first, I was disappointed that they made him a villain. He was sort of kooky and crazy, and and he'd been murdered a bunch of times and recloned a bunch of times, so that explained why he was all damaged, because he remembered all the times he'd been killed. Mm. And I was like, well, this isn't the Ben Riley I wanted back. I wanted that same guy who was just like Peter Parker without any of the hang-ups of being Peter Parker and could just have a fun time being Spider-Man. But then I realized, we've got Miles Morales. Like, Miles Morales is that other version of Spider-Man. He's the Spider-Man without all the Peter Parker baggage. So, in order to justify Ben Riley getting his ongoing series, his own ongoing series, which he's got now, it makes sense to make him a little crazy. So, I'm I'm intrigued to see what they do with him. There's been some interesting developments. I haven't had a chance to get totally caught up with it. The actual crossover that we're talking about was written by Peter David, and the art and the main series was by Jimmy Chung, who's a beautiful artist. Like, it was... So, it's worth buying just to look at the art. But... The story got a little weak towards the end, and the tie-in books were so much fluff, and they're the reason people hate these big crossovers, Mm because they added nothing, and they were pure filler. So, good? Uh, Good that I got to see Ben Riley again. Fair enough. Ben Riley's back as another spider guy, and I'm sure at some point we'll see the adventures of the amazing spider people. You know, there'll be five or six of them, and that'll be pretty cool to see. Yeah, well, there's a ton of spider people right now. There's a lot of spider people. Last one on my list, uh, I've got to mention, the, the Super Nintendo Classic uh, was a big thing this year. And it's important, again, to reestablish that Geek Top 5's official recommendation is don't buy this. It's not cost efficient. It's not the best way to play these games. But, I mean, we've talked about it on the show. It's, it's really cool. And it ties in so well to this joy that we had as kids. Like, the, the Nintendo Classic was fine, but the Super Nintendo was the dominant video gaming console of a generation, and so much that we take for granted in video games started there. All these great platformer franchises and RPGs, and like, like the way all this great stuff worked, they found their shoes on Super Nintendo. And to have that all packaged and sold back to you, just... In, in a very similar package, with a very similar controllers. It's a nostalgia, like like South Park is probably making fun of us as we speak because we're so hopped up on the nostalgia of this product. But it's 
amazing. It's yeah. the best drug. And the conversations you have with people, like the people we met in line for this thing, like everyone has all these stories about how they grew up and what it meant to them. Reissuing this, it's and I should be so cynical about it, but I'm not. It's such just a wonderful love letter from your own childhood. Again, totally, totally a waste of your money. There's no reason to buy it. I have no regrets. Cost efficiency-wise, you can get these games. I mean, heck, if you want to build yourself a retro pie, for God's sake, it would still be half the price and so many more games. There's a million better ways to do it. But as a complete package, assuming you can find one, it's still sold out everywhere. It's not it, enough people are listening to the recommendation. Not I enough guess. people are But that's it. I'm having trouble making that recommendation <laughs> because it's such a cool toy and such a complete way. It's... It's like a Coles notes of things you really loved growing up. And I I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more classic systems. There absolutely will be a classic 64 next year. And, you know, Sega tried to make their classic thing, and it's brutally awful that they tried. (laughs) Like, selling nostalgia will stay a thing. But this particular product is such a cool... It's just, it's something that our generation was really into. I mean, I played through Super Mario World on it. I played through Donkey Kong Country on it. And it was just, I was like transported back in time in a way I didn't think would be possible. But it's all this sense memory. It's like, you know, you watch a, a TV show you loved when you were a kid. And you're just, you're sitting there watching the, the show. And, and sometimes it elicits good memories. But this is a tactile thing. It's like, I'm feeling the same controller. I'm doing the same things. It's bringing back these these reflexes that I thought were gone forever. It's great. It's great. So, that was 2017, the way we saw it. Uh, normally, this would be the part where we take off for Christmas, but again, Last Jedi comes out in just a few days, and there's no way we're not going to be talking about that. So we'll be back in just a little bit to tell you all about them lightsabers. I'm, I'm just going to say right now, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> obviously, guys, come on. <laughs> But that's Geek Top 5 for now. So, thank you for joining us, and thank you to your special guests who are also your regular hosts. We're the best. We are. We're so great. (laughs) In all seriousness, special thanks to Jamie Reum, our man behind our cool new theme song. That's R-E-A-U-M-E. You can find him at Jamie Reum Official on YouTube. He's also got his own podcast on there called Originals and Covers and Beyond. It's pretty cool. Take a look. Special thanks to Stella Simeonova, our webmaster. She's been keeping this all online and all in one place so that you can get to it, which helps. And again, if you have anything we missed from 2017, we want to hear about it from you. So please get in touch with us. You can send us an email at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash geektop5. You can contact us on Twitter at geektop5. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, uh, geektop5. We're on there. And, uh, yeah, just let us know what you think. We're, we're always looking for feedback. We, uh, we're doing pretty good from the living room right now, so we're just going to keep doing that. I'm going to stop begging for studio space. Um, but we can't do this without you guys, and so special thanks again to you. We'll talk to you again in just another week or two. Geek Top 5. <laughs>